This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is More Than Amused podcast. My name's Sadie. And I'm Stani, and welcome back. Fun little mix up with the schedule, but you get to hear from me twice. Even though it's two different months, it's two weeks in a row. So that's kind of fun. Yes, Stani was very nice because. I guess when this comes out, I will be starting my drive tomorrow to Nashville, so crazy. which means it, it is crazy. And the drive to Nashville is because I am living there. Yes. I guess that's an important thing to specify. Basically, my whole last two weeks have been packing and will continue to be packing. So researching does take quite a bit of time. So thankfully, Stani was willing <laughs> to mix up the order a little bit so that I just have to, you know, show up and listen for these episodes. Hey, so. it works out. A little bit more manageable. <laughs> Plus, you have this grand adventure moving to Nashville. She's in her Dolly Parton era. and <laughs> I, Yeah, I am so happy to be in my Dolly Parton era. What a, like, that's the best kind of era to be in. <laughs> Definitely. I think we should all aim to be in our Dolly Parton era all of the time. <laughs> yeah, every moment of our lives. And also very excited to make it to uh, Dollywood. Oh, yeah. So that's going to be iconic. The Country Music Hall of Fame with the Taylor Swift, you know. Oh, for sure. What's the word? Exhibit, things like that. I'm. It's going to be great. I mean, I am going to be living there, but I definitely will be a tourist for my first little well, while there. Of course. <laughs> I feel like you have to. If you're going to go live yeah. somewhere, you've got to be a tourist, you know? you got to exactly. see all the stuff, really experience it all. Exactly. And I've never been to Nashville, so I've never had the chance to do the, like, the gimmicky tourist stuff. Yeah, I haven't either. I read an article actually this week and I was talking about how Nashville is the place for like bachelorette parties. Like that's where yes. people go. Uh-huh. I can't remember the headline. It was hilarious. There. I think I saw it. Yeah. It, it was something about like, like Nashville is like just for white women. I don't yeah, remember what it was. It was like was. Nashville is the Mecca for white women bachelorette parties or something, you know? And I was just like, yeah. What the heck? <laughs> but we love to see Apparently it. it's popular. Yeah, I don't know. Cool. But anyways, so, yeah. yep, two artists in a row. But I'm excited to learn about two amazing artists from you two weeks in a row. I'm really excited to talk about this one. It's actually kind of funny. She did end up having, like, some funny similarities, <laughs> even though it's a completely different field. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Like, similarities with who we did? Yes. with last For last week? week? Okay. With Beatrice Wood. Just some, like, similar mm. little things, which is kind of funny. So, yeah, it was fun to, like, see the parallels. But then again, like, we find them with every artist. There's just more than yes. usual because they are more closer than- in time period than a lot of other people. Oh, okay, cool. Well, then I'm excited to yes. learn those. Cool. Well, then let's just dive right into it. So today we're talking about Marion Mahoney Griffin, and she was actually one of the first, I guess, like, they don't know if she was the absolute first, but she was one of the first licensed female architects in the world. And also she 
got a lot of work like kind of wrongly attributed that was hers to Frank Lloyd Wright who is like the major pioneer of the prairie school and like the prairie architecture style that became like ridiculously popular like I cannot even state enough how popular Frank Lloyd Wright (laughs) is I feel like most people probably know his name like you've probably heard Frank Lloyd Wright at some point yes Mm -hmm. yeah so kind of crazy like how much ended up getting attributed to him when it was actually a lot of it was her so fun to talk about there we go yeah that's cool I mean, it's not cool, but it's always cool <laughs> to find the women behind these. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. So Marion Mahoney Griffin was actually born Marion Lucy Mahoney. She was born on February 14th in 1871 in Chicago, Illinois, to her father, who was a journalist, poet, and teacher from Ireland, and her mother, Lara, who was a school teacher. She had three brothers and one sister. Don't know a lot about them but they were there. What happened very, very early on in her life was actually the Great Chicago Fire, which I very like loosely mentioned last episode as a comparison to the San Francisco earthquake about the amount of devastation. Just gonna (laughs) say, like we literally kind of just talked about that. Nice. (laughs) So kind of crazy, but they were living in Chicago when the fire happened. And this fire, I've been to Chicago. I love it. I took a riverboat tour and they like talked about the Chicago fire because there's a river that runs throughout Chicago but at the time Mm -hmm. Chicago was like such a dirty city and they like weren't controlling like their waste and like pollution properly and so the river was like covered in like a level of like tar and like just disgusting stuff Mm -hmm. and so the water didn't actually help extinguish the fire at all it like skipped over the top of the river and then burned Ah. on the other side so it like it was a devastating fire like literally burned pretty much the entire city down Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It only killed 300 people, which is a lot, but like not as much as you'd expect for how much square footage it took. It destroyed 3.3 square miles or nine kilometers of the city, including over 17,000 structures and left more than 100,000 residents homeless. Wow. Yeah. They don't really know exactly what started it. It was just like hot and dry and windy and there was lots of wood construction in the city. And so it just like set on fire and it didn't stop, Mm -hmm. which is just crazy. So that happened very, very early on in her life. She actually in her memoir describes her mother carrying her as an infant in a clothes basket as they escaped from the fire. So they literally like ran out of there right when it was happening in 1880. She actually would have been an infant because the Chicago fire happened the year she was born, but they didn't end up moving to Winnetka until 1880. So I don't know where they were in those 10 years, but they weren't in Chicago anymore. But anyway, so she was really fascinated with the landscape around her home. It was a very rural area, but it was becoming very quickly developed, especially with like the city being rebuilt. What was crazy and was happening at that time was called the Great Rebuilding because so many fires like destroyed all of Chicago. They basically had the opportunity and the challenge to rebuild the entire city from scratch. And so it was like a major part of architecture to watch happen as like the city spread and developed basically from scratch all over again as they took things like fires and wood and hot days (laughs) into account. (laughs) So it was a very like revolutionary time. I also found like one account. I couldn't find another source of it, but it's believed that there was another house fire of their little country home in Winnetka that happened because her mother ended up leaving some oily rags in the ceiling and it was like 
ignited by the sun and burnt their house down. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So they ended up having another home burn down, but also around that same time, her father ended up dying a very early death in 1882. And mm. so the family ended up moving back into the city away from the countryside again as it was being rebuilt. Oh my goodness. Just randomly burning down. Like, oh, that's horrible. Yeah, like two of your homes. Can you imagine? Something that's very cool is that her mother, Clara Perkins, ended up joining what was called the Influential Chicago Women's Club. And they were very intent on women's voting rights and education and labor reform. They were basically their own little versions of suffragettes. And so she got to grow up surrounded by a wonderful team of like powerful progressive women, which I'm sure was a wonderful influence on her. And it's actually believed that Abraham Lincoln would even stop by and spend time with her mother's side of the family. So yeah, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yep. I think and that might've been earlier, but like they definitely had some influence in like the political spheres and everything. That's, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I know. Her first cousin, Dwight Perkins was an architect himself and talking to him and I'm sure with everything that was happening around her, she was very influenced to further her education and graduated from MIT in 1894 she was only the second woman ever to do so sophia hayden was actually the first she designed the women's building at the 1993 chicago world's columbian exposition and then you have marion griffin who was the second <laughs> which is really cool she actually got her entire way paid through school by this society lady named Mary Haas Wilmert and her daughter. And they provided her with like tutoring and funded her education throughout the entire thing. They were just like this really wealthy and influential progressive family that was like, yeah, you're a girl. You want to go to MIT? We'll pay the whole thing, (laughs) which is really great. Yeah. And then during there, she also developed a lifelong friendships with a bunch of friends. They ended up calling themselves the round robins because they would exchange like these letters. I kind of imagine them as those weird like letters you used to get when you were a kid where it was like, send this to three people, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like the email chains or yeah. something like that. But like a more classical style of that where they would like write out different responses to everything and then send it around to everyone. And they did that for 40 years, which sounds that's fun. amazing. Though highly talented, it is said that she did struggle with her place in society and the field of architecture and even had like some really like uncertain beliefs in her ability to complete her thesis but her professor ended up pushing her forward and really helping her do it which ended up like paying off very quickly after graduation she returned to Chicago again and then was the first woman licensed to practice architecture in the entire state of Illinois so she pretty confidently could say that she was the only female architect in the entire state yeah (laughs) which is quite a burden but definitely you know like a very great accomplishment she ended up working at her cousin's architecture film the same one who helped motivate her to go to college to get her degree in it it was on like van buren street if that means anything to anyone in downtown chicago there was a lot of very influential architects at the time there including robert c spencer myron hunt webster tomlinson irving pond alan bartlett pond adamo barari Birch Long and Frank Lloyd Wright. So that's where they met. And just like a little state of the arts, I'm going to throw it in here. This was during like the arts and craft movement, which was like the international trend in like, it's when they were moving away from more of like the machinery, industrial looking stuff and moving back into like the handmade, like decorative arts 
Like imagine okay. like lots of like flourishes and like adornments and everything. A really popular artist from the arts and crafts movement was William Morris. There's a bunch okay. of his prints available online. And it's just like birds and flowers and like all sorts of very ornate, beautiful decoration. And that was like very, very arts and craft. It also is huge in Japan with like wood block prints and very like folk Japan style stuff. So kind of imagine that a little bit, but it was becoming a huge thing. And kind of the offshoot that it took when it came to architecture was the prairie style, which actually emerged in Chicago around 1900. So right around this time from the work of a group of young architects, including Frank Lloyd Wright. So because she was like on the same level as Frank Lloyd Wright at the same place in this place in Chicago, you can pretty much assume that this group of architects that they were working with were the founders of the Prairie Style. The whole focus of it, it was actually based on the work and writings of an architect named Louis Sullivan or Louis Sullivan, but they focused on non-derivative, distinctly American architecture rooted in nature with a sense of place, but incorporating modern elements, which doesn't sound like anything unless you studied architecture. (laughs) I'm like, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to try to explain it. Basically they called it married to the ground. It was focused on like very like long, low homes that mirrored the landscape of the Midwest. So like, unlike Utah, where we've got like these huge mountains, the Midwest out in like Illinois and Ohio, where I lived for a while, everything is like long and low and it's like that huge horizon and so they really focused on the horizontal of the house like really like long sprawling homes rather than very tall homes okay and then they would also do like rows of windows like overhanging eaves it was made out of like stone wood or brick like very like earthy and then they would also get rid of as much like vertical lines as they possibly could so very geometric very like solid and and open asymmetric floor plans, lots of focus on like indoor and outdoor spaces. So like solariums or different stuff like that, like places where you go and be kind of like in and outdoors. It actually is really funny that it was a part of the arts and crafts movement because it's not nearly as ornamental as a lot of the 2D art of the arts and crafts movement was. It was a lot more focused on like the craft of the home and having it become a part of the land and like looking like one with the landscape. And then also like lots of stained glass or plaster wood carvings or different elements would be incorporated in order to kind of add that ornamentation in. It's a very like mid-century almost. We actually have a ton of it in Ogden, Utah, like prairie style homes. They were all the rage mm. in Ogden for some reason. So they're everywhere. Yeah. If you look up style, like pictures of that house style, I'm pretty sure you'd recognize like that you've seen quite a few of them. I actually love them. I think it's one of my favorite styles of architecture. But anyway, so it that developed right there in that area, in that architecture firm. And what's funny is that even though they ended up working together for quite some time, I found this quote that said, Marion Mahoney Griffith would probably spit on Frank Lloyd Wright's 150th birthday cake if she had the chance. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> yeah. what ended up happening is that Marion Mahoney Griffin ended up becoming very incorporated with the work of two different architects. One was Frank Lloyd Wright, of course, and then the other one was her husband later on, Walter Burley Griffin, who was also an architect. And okay. what happened is 
if you try to like separate her work from either one of them, you end up creating a space where she doesn't exist because like it was Mm. so incorporated with what they were doing that you just can't really separate them. I found this quote that just said that like she was such a fierce cheerleader of her husband, the prairie architect, that she just happily painted herself into his background. And Mm. I think the same thing kind of happened with Frank Lloyd Wright while they were on good terms. She was just like a team player. Like she was a major collaborator and she just took everything as like a group project. I feel like that's something that happens to women. Like that happens to me personally a a lot where I'm like, oh, we're collaborating. And sometimes at the end of it, I'm like, I mean, I kind of did a lot of work, (laughs) but like, but it's hard because like you don't want to be that person who's like keeping score when you are collaborating, but also, you know, I, yeah. I just, I found myself getting caught in that trap as well, basically. Yeah. No, I completely can see how it would happen. It's just kind of frustrating, especially when she was such like a major pioneer of this amazing movement of architecture. And then to have her Mm -hmm. kind of like split between these two other famous architects and not really getting her due. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, that enters us into like two chapters of her life, the Frank Lloyd Wright chapter and then the Walter Burley Griffin chapter. Even though she did not have an affair with Frank Lloyd Wright or anything, they were just work friends but they did work very closely together so what happened is Frank Lloyd Wright ended up leaving that architecture firm that they were all working at and he hired his first employee Marion Mahoney Griffin she was the first one in 1895 and then they would go on to work together designing buildings furniture stained glass windows and decorative panels and I actually found like a really funny quote by an architecture professor he said you have to give it to Wright that he thought hiring a woman was fine and I was like come on dude (laughs) bare minimum there right they were like oh you have to give Wright some credit for hiring a woman Uh uh-huh okay then but it is said that Marion was no shrinking violet in Wright's office she was known for her wit her refusal to bow to his ego and her very loud laugh. All of her colleagues remembered her as a good actress, talkative, and when around right there was a real sparkle and everyone enjoyed being around her because it promised an amusing day. So, oh, that's well yeah. sweet. <laughs> she was very well loved. What she became most famous for, well, what she became known for within her circle of friends and ended up getting gypped for later. <laughs> was her beautiful watercolor renderings of buildings and landscapes. And it's, they're stunning, like literally beautiful. And (laughs) the sad part is, is that it ended up becoming known as a staple of Wright's style. Like he became known for these watercolor portraits of homes and like watercolor renderings of landscapes when she was the one who did them. But they were just very unique. They had like foliage framing the buildings. She'd have like trees and stuff like around it like creating a window into the house and then um, she always did like really unique perspectives of the home too Mm -hmm. before then a lot of people had only done like straight on and she would do like a three-quarter or even like a bird's eye view sometimes you know like really show people and then um, it was also very like very arts and crafts style very wood block print style is what was most commonly Mm -hmm. made as a comparison so very like Japanese inspired almost which they were absolutely stunning and for 15 years she worked with Wright designing her own buildings of course but then producing drawings for pretty much all of the designs and what happened is all of these drawings got accumulated into this giant portfolio called the Wasmuth portfolio and it was Mm -hmm. like lithographs and like all these drawings and designs it ended up making Wright world famous. And Mm. what's 
sucks about that is that she produced over half of the drawings within this book and he ended up becoming famous for them and i mean ah, like this is like yes like i feel like sometimes we can be like oh i mean who knows like it sucks but like maybe but this is so blatant you yes, know very very blatant and it's very much so believed to the like when people think of frank lloyd wright and they think of these illustrations that mm-hmm. it was all her like <laughs> she no created way. the work oh. that people think of when they hear the name frank lloyd wright yeah. it also like really revolutionized the way that architecture was presented to people so mm-hmm. it changed the entire way that architects like drew stuff up for their clients and for like portfolios and everything else for the rest of forever throughout all of America and moving on into the international world. It's like she changed architecture drawings forever. Wow. Yeah. Everyone copied her style and that's like how you presented architecture. Like she created the new standard, which is just amazing an architectural writer Rainer Banham actually called her the greatest architectural delineator of her generation she just did it like she invented the new standard for architecture drawings that's so cool yeah she ended up joining this project in 1895 for Wright's Oak Park studio and that's where she first met her husband Walter Burley Griffin and the Oak Park office, and then they called this office the Mecca of the Prairie style, but it was just like this little beautiful office that Wright ended up calling our little university. And then she forged a really close relationship with Wright's wife at the time. Her name was Catherine Tobin Wright. And she just like got along with everyone. You know, she like met her future husband, was like hanging out with her work friend. Like everything was just like very beautiful at this time. Also, she designed the Gerald Mahoney residence in 1907 during this time in Indiana for her brother and sister-in-law as well. So kind of like some fun family house designing. Yeah. Then in 1909, so just two years later, okay. Wright ran away with a woman and eloped to Europe. <laughs> not his wife, a different woman. He offered the studio to actually to Mahoney, but she declined because she saw the role as like more of a headache. And it ended up being like really smart because instead of turning it over to her, he ended up turning it over to a man named Herman von Holtz. And he learned after his boss ran away to Europe that a bunch of the fees had been paid in advance and Wright had taken the money with him. So he was shorted. And then also like it made front page news. Like it was a huge scandal when Wright left his wife for, it was Martha Borthwick Cheney. I don't know how they met or anything about them, but yeah, he ran away and eloped with a different woman. And Marion was very close with his first wife. Like they had become very close friends. And so she was really mad at Frank for destroying their relationship that they had, for leaving all of his work behind. And she felt that it was really unprofessional and made all of his office mates look stupid. And then also she ended up writing in her memoir later. Her memoir, she when she was writing it, she had dementia. So a lot of it's like kind of, you know, like oh. it's an unreliable narrator. But she did remember like how mad she was at him enough to say when the absent architect didn't bother to answer anything that was sent over to him, the relations were broken. So just kind of like he cut off all contact. He ended up being like a stupid architect. And that was the moment (laughs) when I hated him. (laughs) Well, I mean, honestly, good for her. (laughs) (laughs) 
However, she did end up working with Holst, who had taken on rights commissions for a while longer. She did create like a stipulation that she would have control over the designs that she took over for him and worked on. And so she did like a couple of commissions that Wright abandoned when he left. Uh, The first was a design for Henry Ford's Dearborn Mansion, which apparently never got built. And I mean, Henry Ford, though, that's a pretty casual name. Yeah, like Frank Lloyd Wright was like the celebrity architect of the Prairie Styles. So yeah, like people came to him. Cool. Yeah. So that also meant she got to work on a lot of those. And then another house called Fairlane and then the Amberg House in Michigan. And then this is where she ends up working more with her husband, Walter Burley Griffin. So Von Holst is developing like this new project. He hires Marion Mahoney Griffin. And then Uh she recommends Walter Burley to come and join them in developing landscaping through the area and like developing out the rest of the house. There was this area with like three houses in Illinois. So obviously it was a huge project. Three houses, all of the landscaping. They needed another architect. So they brought on Griffin. And as I mentioned before, they'd worked together before on the office for Wright. So he was like a fellow ex-employee of Wright Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also studied in the Prairie School of Architecture. And she was about 40 at the time, which is actually kind of crazy because it was like way beyond the typical marrying age. They just like got along really well. A lot of people like joke that maybe it was because they would just sit there and gripe about Frank Lloyd Wright and how much they hated him. (laughs) They're like, wow, we have so much in common. (laughs) Because originally, apparently Walter was in love with Frank Lloyd Wright's sister and he had proposed to her and then she gave him like a hard pass. And then he like... I don't know. He went and he was assuming that him and Wright would at least have like an equal business partnership, but then mm-hmm. that didn't work out either. There's a lot of things about Wright and just how he was like, he ran as a one man band. You know, he liked to have people around mm-hmm. him who made like his ego possible. He just sounds like he really wanted to like get known for everything and he didn't want anyone else around him to get credit, but he wanted them there to make him look better. And okay. so obviously that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. And then when Griffin left to start his own firm, Wright like wrote this huge thing out about how he was second rate and told everyone that he was a nobody, like bad mouthed him to everyone in the industry. And he was like, oh yeah, like I worked with him, but he was the worst. So obviously he wasn't a fan of him either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this guy really knew how to burn bridges. Oh, 100%. He knew how to build houses and burn bridges. <laughs> that was good. Okay, excellent. <laughs> Big fan of that. Yeah. But you know, it worked out really well. They ended up like going on a lot of like little canoe trips with each other. He was five years younger than her, but they just like fell in love. That's not that bad yeah. of an age difference though. I know. Five years, whatever. Really not that bad. So they fell in love. A lot of people joked that she was a cougar, but you know, only five years. And it's believed that she actually was the one who proposed to him, which is very unheard of at that time. That's very sweet. I know it's cute. And she was just such like a go-getter that I can totally see her just being like, you know what? Like, let's just get married. (laughs) Like, will you marry me? I love that. Yeah. So they got married in 1911 and they actually were together for 26 years. Their marriage ended when he passed away. So it was for the rest of his life that he was with her. That's very sweet. Yeah. Very, very cute. I saw another quote where it's like, she then spent the rest of her life making Walter look good, which I mean, (laughs) 
she did. The article that I found also said like, again, it may seem disappointing to us now that she willingly chose a subservient role, but for the era, Marion had the best of both worlds. Unlike yeah. other female colleagues, Griffin didn't fade into obscurity when she got married, but unlike the trailblazing architect, Julia Morgan, she had a partner in her life, both professionally and personally. Marion was happy to describe herself as Walter's useful slave or on a more professional <laughs> level, the officer manager or junior member of Griffin's office. And she wrote oh in her memoir, truly, I lost myself in him and found it completely satisfying. So, well, I mean, I mean, then she, who are we yeah. to say that that's bad? Or... I know. Like, she maybe didn't get as much credit. No, she definitely didn't get as much credit. Yeah, she absolutely <laughs> yeah. did not. For, and I wish yeah. she would have. For but... things that she deserved. But I do feel like it was a more equal partnership than with yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright. Because there was, like, they were married, you know? And it's hard when you're married to, like, create that balance especially when you're working together I'm sure you know and like, working like the same thing yeah. yeah and she just considered herself like the luckiest person on earth like she got to do the work that she loved with the man that she loved like mm-hmm. who gets to do that you know like like it's really easy to her. yeah look at it through a like a lens of an outsider and just be like oh he sucks men suck and like you know well, yeah and, <laughs> and the hard thing is too, this actually makes me think of Albert Einstein and mm-hmm. his wife yeah where it's like she just totally viewed it is like oh well if I'm helping him with his career I'm also helping myself and I'm loving this work I mean it turns out that Albert Einstein sucked and screwed her over and like I guess that's the risk you take but I feel like it's not I mean there's two parts to this it's not inherently like unfeminist and bad for someone to say hey I really love this person and so it doesn't matter to me if I'm not getting the credit because I love like you said that I get to spend my life with them and do the things that I love but also I do feel like men don't do the same thing with their spouses you know what I mean so there's like two sides of it Mm -hmm. where but I don't want to like trash her for that or even trash her husband I know know? I I definitely think it was kind of more on like her that not that it was like her fault but like definitely like society at that time and everything like she kind Mm -hmm. of pushed herself into the background like she was happy to be like his assistant but she didn't like force herself to be up at the same level as him and Mm -hmm. I don't think he necessarily was like you know like forcing forcing her to do that from the sound of it he honestly was just like such an easygoing guy he kind of just did whatever she said Cool. <laughs> so I think it was definitely like her decision to do that. However, I do uh-huh. feel like that's society's fault then, you know, that she felt yeah. the need to do that in order to like be a better wife or whatever, you know? Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, she said she found it completely satisfying. So, <laughs> so who are we to say anything really? <laughs> yeah. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. Okay, so I found this Instagram page. It's called Women Architects. Well, it's perfect. Women, yeah. Yeah. Women underscore architects. And actually, I love it because one of the first photos they have on there is Marion Pony Griffin. No way. Um, yeah. I think they just post like a bunch of work by women okay. architects and then different women architects themselves and just what they're up to and what they're doing. They say, true story, all rights reserved to their respective owners. So, of course, it all goes to the people that they're talking about. They also have quotes about architecture that they post on their stories, it looks like. And I don't know if they're, like, working on a collective project or what's happening here. Mm -hmm. But just a great place to go and find names or, like, pictures of architecture that's created by women. Ah, I love that. Yeah. And, like, 
very on theme for what we're doing today. (laughs) And it's all very beautiful. I love architecture. Yeah, I'm going to definitely have to go check that out. Okay, so mine is an artist I just found. Her name is Jessie Dahlquist, and her Instagram username is Jessie Doll Art. Jessie is spelled G-E-S-S-I, doll, D-O-L-L, art. And she shares really beautiful things from, it looks like her life, but also her art. I found it because her not her most recent reel but the her most recent post I found it on just my Instagram explore page and it just says good morning sketchbook it's something just from her sketchbook and it's the most beautiful face in these like vibrant colors and I just love it so much wait say her username one more time yes so it's jesse j-e-s-s-i doll d-o-l-l art jesse doll art and her name's Jessie Dahlquist. Uh-huh. I, I'm almost, I'm like going to require that you yeah. <laughs> look it up because it's so beautiful and so cool what she's doing. Stunning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I love it. I know. I absolutely love it too. It looks like, I think she's in the Orange County area because in her bio too, she also has like an OC art collective for all creatives mm-hmm. That, I mean, if you're in that area, it looks like they like meet up together and things like that. She's, um, there's an art gallery that's also in her bio in Newport Beach. So I don't know, you know, she must be have stuff there, but it's really beautiful what she has. And she has prints and things like that. I'm looking at her website right now and they're so cool. Yeah, those are awesome. Like all the prints are just so. Yes. I'm. And very reasonably priced. That's what I was saying. Like I'm, I'm moving into you know my new apartment in a. Well, I guess by this point it'll be this week I'm moving in. Wow, but so I crazy. for my my birthday is also this weekend, and so for my <laughs> birthday I'm splurging and getting these two prints. And now that I'm looking at these, I'm Yay. like, I want these prints now too. They're so cool. They're gorgeous. I love the astronaut one. Me too. I launch. Love it. And the Lady Liberty print. Ooh, I want to see it. I love that one too. Oh, so cool. Yeah, just cool women. So yeah, again, check her out. That's Jessie Mm -hmm. Doll Art. Amazing things. Like I said, she has her prints, but she also has like originals. She has other just products. Like you can get her designs on notebooks and phone cases and magnets, which I think is cool. And also originals and things like that. So I would check it out. All right, now back to the show. They ended up working on this project called the Decatur Project before their marriage and then shortly afterward. And then she moved over to his practice and it was Walter Burley Griffin, Marion Mahoney. (laughs) But Mm. they didn't end up calling it that. That was just what it was. You know, they ended up designing a bunch of prairie school dwellings, including Rock Crest in Rock Glen in Mason City, okay. Iowa. And it's one of their most dramatic American design developments of the decade, according to Ooh. that. And it's also the largest collection of prairie style homes surrounded in a natural setting. 
So I think they ended up doing like a ton of homes around that area and it worked out well for them. So this is when like the biggest project of their like partnership and marriage happened. In 1911, the Australian government launched an international competition to find a design for its new national capital. 137 designs were received from all over the world, which is shocking to me because if they were to do that now, there would be a lot more than 137. Yes. (laughs) But I guess, I don't know. There weren't a lot of options. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Like maybe only licensed architect centered because that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, Marion ended up being the only reason why Walter entered. She really just like bugged him about it until he did it. And that's why the Griffin name lives on in the capital of Australia, which is Canberra. There's actually a Lake Burley Griffin, a Marion Mahoney Griffin view, And even a new light rail that's being built in the city is credited to one of Walther's initial designs. So they definitely like made their mark overseas in Australia. The reason Walther didn't want to do it is because the practice in Chicago was just like really busy and going really well. So even though he had always kind of wanted to like do something like that, like more of a city planning, like city architecture type thing. Yeah. He just wasn't sure that they even had the time and it would just be like a really difficult project. But Marion was like, no, we've got to do it. Someone even said she ended up having a big fight with him in front of her friends and shamed him into doing it. I basically saying like, you've been talking about this for years. Like you've got to do it. Yeah. Which makes sense. Like if you really wanted to, you know, then like. Mm -hmm. Also, it said that she was the fire and he was the muffler when it came to the whole thing. (laughs) So he like really channeled, but you know, she was the energy behind all of it. Mm -hmm. They created this whole design. It was based on natural topography, which makes sense. Very prairie style of them. And they proposed a city that was located in the middle of three hills, Black Mountain, Black Ansley, and Mugga Mugga. And then they wanted to use like the north and south to make up like a linked basin of ornamental lakes. Okay. And then the city structure would be based on too many axes, a land and a water axis. And then within would lie a triangular government group, including Parliament House on Camp Hill, which is the current site of the old Parliament House. And they ended up winning. It was a very elaborate, like very wonderful thing, but they ended up winning in May, 1912. They were announced as the winner. Wow. A lot of people have said that like, nobody knows how much input Marion truly had on the form follows nature design of Canberra. But I mean, come on. Yeah. (laughs) It's very obvious. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) A modern day architect, writer, and professor actually said, if you had two men and one was five years older and had gone to a better university and they were working on a project together, would you say that the younger man did it himself mic drop yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) which I loved because that's so true if you put that in the comparison you're like "Uh, no like you would you would never no and well the other thing too is if they weren't married too like if they just would have been two partners but it's like just because they're married doesn't negate anything no it doesn't it just meant that they worked on it constantly they worked on it day and night they discussed it between themselves forever Mm -hmm. and it's very much so believable that even if she didn't put in any architectural input if they hadn't had her drawings they probably wouldn't have won because like there's these world famous architecture drawings you know like she did mm-hmm. all of them so she did these watercolor perspectives of the entire thing and everyone is like pretty positive but that's the reason why they secured it she did like bird's eye she did like all these different like angles it folded out 
cool. in this like portfolio design of like beautiful mm-hmm. and red proposal for the design. So just gorgeous. Of course, with Griffin being appointed as the designer of, you know, the capital of Australia, it was a huge sensation in the United States, which makes sense. They're like, Oh, look at the U S like still young, but making its name and like the arts and architecture of the world. Mm -hmm. And Frank Lloyd Wright wasn't happy about it, (laughs) (laughs) but he made it publicly known that he thought the work of the Griffins was second rate and said that Walter had been merely his draftsman. And then he also just like with what he had done with Marion's like work before and claiming it as his own and then turning around and saying that he thought their work was second rate. And Walter was only a draftsman. Like Marion ended up hating him until her death. Like she good for her. (laughs) He was just like, I hate him. Like completely hate him. Jeez. which is sad because they did they worked together for so long yeah that's but, true yeah. but it's not that like he didn't deserve the hatred that he ended up getting no, so definitely don't feel not. that bad yeah and I'm sure like Marion really enjoyed that she got the Canberra job and he didn't so. yeah <laughs> in 1914 they left for Australia so that he could actually oversee the building of the new capital city There was some hiccups. I don't think Canberra actually looks like the design that they created. And that was for like a couple of different reasons, even Mm -hmm. though their design won and was like accepted by the panel of people, a bunch of like builders and bureaucrats were like, no, we're not going to do this. Let's do something completely different. Hmm. And then Walter was like, no, this was the design. Like you can't change my design. You approved it. Like you chose it. This is the one that got chosen yeah but then they were like really mad about the fact that he was American I think they wanted like an Australian architect to win or maybe like a European one or something you know someone with more esteem and there were parts of the design that just weren't very practical like the separate water basins part he wanted like five separate water basins and it was just believed that that would be too expensive so I don't know. He went over to there to try and help. To like okay. Start things over and actually like help it become true. Even though they both ended up over there, Marion managed the Sydney office and was responsible for the design of their private commissions while they were there. So they took on some projects over there while they were there. Mm-hmm. And then he mainly handled like the major Canberra development of the capital city they also both completely fell in love with the sydney harbor and marion actually said you people in sydney have the chance of making a city beautiful that could easily be one of the finest in the world you have the most magnificent waterfront i've ever seen and i thought that was a very good premonition because it is one of the most famous fronts and beautiful cities in the world absolutely Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then they also were introduced to anthro Oh man, it's another one of those philosophy words that I'm going to have a hard time saying. Anthroposophy. Okay. I would just say anthroposophy, but there's a P in there somewhere that I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, it means like wisdom of the human being. And it's like another spiritualism movement, like very similar to Uh (laughs) Beatrice Hoy that we talked about last week, but a different spiritual movement. It was founded in the 20th century by an esterist who is like a spiritual scholar, I guess is what it's called. Esterism, like Western mystery tradition, all of that named Rudolf Steiner. 
and he was actually Australian. So that's why they were introduced there. He was an occultist, a social reformer, architect also, and a clairvoyant, which they speak to ghosts. So they got introduced to that. They ended up becoming like very enthralled in it. It has roots in like German idealist and mystical philosophies. And it's also like a little bit white supremacist. Oh. um, Pseudoscience-y. Uh, so okay um, okay I, I get it. like <laughs> yeah. eugenics kind of yeah um I mean it, it has its roots in that it doesn't say that that's exactly what it was so I don't know if she actually falls into the category of that but like mm-hmm. it was like the spiritual cultural movement and like system of thought yeah we ever want to have like a religions expert on here and they can dissect all these different spiritual movements that all these artists were part of. That'd be, <laughs> That'd be great. Cool. <laughs> because I have no idea. But actually, Hilma Ofklint was more closely related. Like her mystical beliefs were more closely related to this mm-hmm. than to Beatrice Ward's, which were more focused in Hinduism and like Indian tradition. So a lot more similar to Hilma Ofklint. <laughs> I'm not saying she was a white supremacist, guys. I hope that's clear. <laughs> yes. But I mean, but honestly, yeah. it's like good to like be aware that like, I don't know, that there's links to it. You know, yes. like we don't need to gloss over it and be like, and everything that these women have done was perfect, perfect. and everything that they were involved in is great. Yeah. Because we don't know that. <laughs> yeah. We don't know that. But they were introduced to that and the ideas of Rudolf Steiner, and they ended up joining the anthropophagic Posophacy is how I say anthroposophacy. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I like that. And also, while they were in Australia, they pioneered the knitlock construction method that Wright had used in a lot of his California textile block houses in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. I think this is where the bricks. I'm gonna look up a picture really quick to make sure. It was like a revolutionary new technique. They would take bricks made from three different machines, and it was eight types of panels in diverse forms assembled to construct an entire home, including internal and external walls, and even the shingles of the roof. Wow. Can they do that now? Because then maybe I could afford a house. Honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Basically, like, it all hooked together in this, like, perfect way so that all the walls came up and just stacked together interlocking like a puzzle Mm -hmm. they revolutionized that in australia as well and brought it over there she also traveled a lot she made a lot of friends and they traveled to tasmania and she did some beautiful nature paintings while she was there and that's actually hanging in the northwestern university museum oh cool cool Um, the most famous one was like this deep red depiction of a gum tree against the sunset Mm -hmm. of course like her watercolors weren't only of houses she did a couple of others on the side while they were over in australia they stayed there for quite a while they also designed the town of castle crag in new south wales Mm -hmm. they moved there in 1925 and then joined the community in like tree planting landscaping and then the design and management of the haven scenic theater which is this community theater that hosted plays and festivals and it was just this beautiful little place that everyone ended up calling important and weird and wonderful I love that (laughs) yeah so you know they definitely had like the major impact on Australian architecture and they both loved it like they loved the country they loved the people Mm -hmm. and it's actually kind of sad because like more things are named for Marion and Marion's better remembered in Australia than she was in the United States yeah. and like still is to this day like there's quite a few things named after her and it's cool though that yeah she at least was able to find some like lasting legacy 
for her work that she's done. No, definitely. They made major impact. Mm -hmm. So in 1935, Walter ended up traveling to India to work on the Lucknow University Library. And then Marion joined him only a year later. While she was there, she saw a completion of a bunch of several projects for them. And then he ended up dying really suddenly Mm -hmm. of, I'm guys, medical terms. He died of peritonitis, which is an inflammation of the peritonitis which apparently is like the organs in your abdomen abdomen basically he got an infection after he got his gallbladder removed which sucks because that actually wouldn't happen today but he ended up passing away very suddenly in 1937 so marion wound up the office a couple of projects were left unbuilt but i mean can you blame her she was in india alone after her husband died and she returned to australia for a while and you know it's just important to remember that like Mahoney and Griffin, like Marion and Walter, they ended up spreading the prairie style to two different continents. And that's just a very important thing that the two of them did. Yeah, no, it's incredible. She didn't stay long in Australia after Walter's death. And I don't really blame her. I think like it was kind of their place that they had together and it was time for her to go home to the family that she had left. It's also kind of funny. She credited Louis Sullivan like very heavily for the Prairie School philosophy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she actually blamed Frank Lloyd Wright for the Prairie School and Prairie architecture style dying early in the United States because he took too much credit for it. <laughs> well, no one wanted it probably being associated with him. He sounds like yeah. he sucks. <laughs> so I just thought that was funny. And she would continue to claim that the Prairie School and Prairie Style was credited and started by Louis Sullivan, which is fair because they were inspired by him. Mm-hmm. So she ended up returning to the United States, like I said, in her late 60s and pretty much retired. I mean, like late yeah. 60s, her husband's passed away. But she did live for another 24 years after her husband died. Wow. She lived in a house with her sister and her sister's family in Rogers Park. So she lived in the house in Chicago, Illinois, like back in her hometown. And her sister taught at George Armstrong Elementary School. And what's really cool is they actually had her come and paint a mural on the side of the school. Yeah, where her sister taught. And school administrators weren't surprised. When a bunch of people came to see it because they said they even had people from Australia that came to see it. Wow. So I guess that just proves the mark that she made when she was over there. Yes. Like she was so beloved. And so people came from all over to come and see this mural that she made. Mm -hmm. What it says it depicts is gold glinting from the depths of a greenish pond, fairies fed by baby herons, which sounds that beautiful sounds, yeah, that sounds and perfect for an elementary beautiful. school. It's also believed that like her beliefs in anthroposophy, her philosophy, I'm sorry guys, I'm not meant to say all these osophy <laughs> words, but it was just this, they believe that it was very incorporated into the mural because it was blending nature, spirituality, knowledge, and freedom, and very similar to like Scientology, in its confusing nature, but hopefully not like the cult of Scientology, more of the belief of Scientology. Okay. They also talked about just how she was like very in tune with spiritual things. They said that when you walked into a room, she immediately could perceive your aura, which tells so much about your personality and mm-hmm. that she was just like very in tune with like the spiritual center of the universe. It's also really funny because when she returned to Chicago, they invited her to lecture at the Illinois Society of Architects <laughs> and she didn't end up talking about her own work <laughs> at all. Oh my goodness. 
but she discussed anthroposophacy and Steiner, like, look at her just discussing a man is what they said. Very typical of her. Like she's given center stage and she gets up there and discusses man's accomplishments. I and stuff. love it. She just sounds very humble, very selfless, yes. like constantly turning outward. She did, however, spend the next 20 years working on a massive volume of 1,400 pages and 650 illustrations detailing her and Walter's working lives, which she titled The Magic of America. I don't know. At the time that the article was written, it still had never been formally published, which sounds like a nightmare. Like, why didn't they ever do that? But it's also because, like I said, she did it while she was writing, while she had dementia. And yeah, I don't think it's ever actually been published, which sucks. But it was because like there were parts of it, they said that were a bit ravey. Her mind was deteriorating. She had dementia. There was some stuff that was just kind of like mixed up a little bit. And so even though the work is very beautiful and everything, like it wasn't a reliable narrator in every way. Okay. That makes Um, sense though. Yeah. So even though it's been never, it never has been formally published, they do have it available at the Art Institute of Chicago. And I think it's available online through the National Library of Australia and the Art Institute of Chicago. Okay. So like, I think you can find it. I don't know if you have to have like a membership or something through them, but kind of a bummer though, that they never formally published, published it. it. Yeah. I mean, who cares if it's not completely yeah. accurate? I want to know what she would have to say. I know. I'm like, there's less reliable narrators that have that's, published plenty of books. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> she also continued to hate write until the grave. Oh my gosh. He was having a revival and he was working on the Guggenheim and also was a part of an exhibit at the MoMA and she never named him directly, but she did say the Chicago school died, not only because of the cancer sore in it, one who originated very little, but spent most of his time claiming everything and swiping everything. Like it obviously was. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. She hated him until the day she died. <laughs> so, but um, again, just good for her. I know. I love it so much. <laughs> just not because I think that like he I don't know. I just think like you could tell she felt very passionately about it and was not going to let him get away with it. Yeah, it's so funny. She lived to be 90, but she ended up dying like relatively poor, which is pretty sad in Cook County Hospital. Her ashes actually had no marker for quite a while. Wow. And I don't know if they ever even know where they ended up, but they do have a small plaque in memory of her at Graceland Cemetery, which is also where Louis Sullivan, Daniel Burham, and her cousin Dwight Perkins were buried. So three of the architects that she worked with in her early career. Mm -hmm. Of course, Walter isn't near her. He's buried in India, which kind of sucks, but I mean, they couldn't really do transatlantic travel with bodies at the time. So that's kind of just what happened. Her legacy does live on in small ways. Uh, There is a beach at Jarvis Avenue in Rogers Park that's named after her. And then it was the place where she lived after she returned. And then also there's a couple of things, like I said, in Australia that are named after her. And the Australian Institute of Architects also honor her work with an annual award called the Marion Mahoney Griffin Prize for her distinctive body of work by a female architect 
project for architectural education, journalism, research theory, and a professional practice or built architectural work. Hmm. So they continue to honor female architects every single year in her memory and honor. That's and, cool. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's her. I mean, she has tons of works of architecture that are credited to her. I highly suggest you go look at her paintings of the architecture that she did. There's just so much, but just a very fascinating, talented woman. Really, though. I'm glad at least sounds like Australia really gives her the credit she deserves. Especially. <laughs> yeah. So I love that. And I think this, this is our first architect. So that's cool. Yeah, I think it is, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just go check out as much of it as you can. There's been some exhibitions for her recently. Oh, cool. Oh, as recently as this year, the National Archives of Australia in Canberra. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah, had an exhibition titled Marion the Other Griffin. Good. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. And also Museum of Sydney. And it looks like the last time they had one in the United States was in 2015, 2016. Okay. They had some about like her woodblock prints and everything. So she is getting more recognition than she ever did previously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it seems Australia is her champion. So <laughs> I love it. Well, cool. cool. Thank you so much That's for her. teaching me about her. I'm so glad I know and have learned and thanks it's so fun to do like a new medium of art as well like mm-hmm. architecture just fun i love it so much thanks everyone for listening and i hope you enjoyed learning more about this amazing artist that we can now all add to someone that we all love and appreciate and yes. again it's just so like that's the thing that i found almost the most frustrating about this story is just the fact that it was so blatant this time around, you know, like sometimes I feel like with other people we've done, it's like, oh, we can't prove that it was, you know, misattributed (laughs) or things like that. Like in this situation, like, no, 100%. Yeah. And like she hated (laughs) until the day she died. So it's like, yeah, um, no arguments here that, you know, that you can't deny it. Yes, definitely. And it sounds like he was a real jerk, honestly. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope that the next time someone brings up Frank Lloyd Wright, you're reminded and you're like, wait, no, actually, let's give some credit let's here to Mary Mahoney here. Griffin. Absolutely. Yeah. I fully support that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Perfect. Well, well, we will be back yeah. next week or is there something else? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, we'll be back next week. New episodes every Monday and leave a review. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's super easy on Spotify. Just tap the five stars at the top on Apple Podcasts. If you want to write some nice words of encouragement and love, we would adore it. Yes, definitely. Um, Yeah. And then, of course, like if you love this episode, share it with a friend, send it to your mom, just whoever you think would enjoy it. Absolutely. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, podcast listener, do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, 
the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.